What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Energy Exchange Podcast. I am your host and chief energy officer, Jeremy Abramson. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I am so excited for you to hear today's energy exchange with the one and only Andrew Salisbury. And listen, this show, this interview, this conversation inspired me and taught me so much about family, entrepreneurship, and of course, coffee, because Andrew is the founder of Purity Coffee. And guys, please trust me when I say this, I promise, I guarantee you will learn everything there is to know about coffee in this conversation. Because let's be honest, you probably drank coffee this morning or you're drinking some right now. And if you're drinking something as often as that, you should make sure that it's the highest quality ingredients, that it doesn't have toxins or mold inside of it. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, mold? Yes, mold. Because 97% of the coffee in America has mold in it. You know this show is all about empowering and inspiring you to make the best decisions possible to take ownership of your health, of your happiness. And I know this show is gonna help you move in the right direction. So without further ado, here we go. Andrew, <laughs> welcome to the show. So excited to have you, brother. How are you doing out there in the ATL? Very good, very good, having a great time. <laughs> I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to connect with you. Uh, you know, you founded Purity Coffee about three years ago now, a little over three years ago. I've been enjoying it with my roommates the last month and super, super excited to learn what inspired you to really pursue a career in coffee when before that you were in a completely different industry. Yeah, it really, it really wasn't a natural career path for me. I had a software company in Latin America for, for most of my life and um, uh, sold that company in 2011. And um, taking some time off, my wife was having some health issues and she was drinking lots of coffee. And, and I think probably um, that my, my, sort of my, my, my attempt to get her to give up coffee led me to do some research on the health benefits of coffee. And what I discovered was that just coffee is incredibly good for you. And I felt like there was just a huge disconnect between what the scientific community knew about the health benefits of coffee and what the general public knew. And so initially, it took us about two years in research and development, working with the University of Brazil, looking at every step of this. But I didn't know if there was going to be a business or not, frankly. I mean, I, it was really more um, a, a business of passion, learning about the health benefits of coffee, uh, trying to understand if it's so good for you, what makes it good for you, and what compounds do we want more of? And could we do anything to actually get more of the good stuff and less of the bad stuff? And then finally, would people appreciate it? Would people actually be willing to pay more for a coffee that was designed for their health rather than just a, a coffee that gave them caffeine? Mm, I love that. I love that you created this from a place of like curiosity and a personal story, which makes it that much more powerful, right? And and you really had an emotional investment in it. And you mentioned the good stuff and the bad stuff, right? Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Because in America, see, we have the tendency to take a delicious food and then we fuck it up with chemicals and toxins. So um, I'd, I'd love for you, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about some of these good things, right? That make coffee as uh, beneficial as it is. And then some of those bad things that you were talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So that was actually one of the first steps when we recognized or we were told that the coffee is really good for you. It's the number one source of antioxidants in the American diet. We wanted to find out, okay, what are the negative compounds we want to avoid? What are the positive compounds? Because obviously that's the starting point. So the health benefits um, from coffee come from the chlorogenic acids, which are the antioxidants. There's other, there's other compounds inside coffee you want more of, but mainly it's the chlorogenic acids. 
And people often conflate coffee with caffeine. They think it's the same thing, but it's really just one, one major compound in coffee, but the other compound is the chlorogenic acids. So more antioxidants in the coffee. And that, 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 the interesting thing about the antioxidants in coffee is they, they vary from harvest to harvest, crop to crop, region to region. And you can't really pick one area, one farm that's going to be highest in antioxidants. You have to lab test and find which one in that season is, is the highest. So antioxidants is number one. And then afterwards, you want to minimize or have no mold, no um, pesticide, pesticide residue. Um, coffee is the most heavily treated crop on the planet next to tobacco and cotton. So, I mean, and it's, it's treated, frankly, in countries that don't have the same level of oversight that you would have on other uh, crops, let's say, in the U.S. that are porous. Because if you look at a coffee cherry, it's, it's very much like a grape. And it's sprayed with with uh, glyphosate, endosulfin, some of these compounds that are really just, you just don't want anywhere near your food. You know. Yeah, that that's huge. The mold and the pesticides. When did you? When like? Do you have any early memories of of you having your first cups of coffee and and some of those memories that came to life? Because I know you spent a significant amount of time in Brazil, and they have some of the best beans over there, right? Yeah, they have fantastic. They're, they're the largest coffee producing country in the world, and they have a wide range of quality from big industrial farms that, that produce the sort of quantities of coffee that you know you see all over the world, but, but some very good specialty coffees as well. So fantastic coffees. And I spent a lot of time working in Colombia as well and uh, really all over Latin America. So there's some, some great coffees. Um, but you know, funny thing was, I was never much of a coffee drinker until I started this business. Um, I was a tea drinker. Um, I actually thought that um, for me, coffee sort of gave me jitters, and, and I didn't. I, I, I'd have a cup of coffee in the morning, but it wasn't the thing that I would drink regularly. And it wasn't until I found out there was a big difference in quality of coffee, and then when I went the extra mile and started looking at really good quality organic coffees, that I had a different feeling in my body. And that's when I started to sort of look at coffee as the the go-to daily daily drink. Yeah, I think that's super important to recognize. You know, I was mentioning to you before this that I, based on my DNA report, you know, I'm a fast metabolizer of caffeine, which is good because it means I'm able to drink a little more coffee and I can even have it a little bit later in the day. So for everyone listening, it's important to recognize just like most things, right? If you're feeling jittery, if you're feeling anxious from coffee, first of all, check the quality, check the sourcing. And then also it's important to like understand your, your genetics with some of this stuff. It all plays a role. Um, can you, can you tell me, because one of the things that's really cool that I discovered like only a couple months ago was I saw like how the coffee starts in a green bean. Mm-hmm. Right. And then yeah. it gets roasted. And I'm curious to know, like, this is actually a question my, my friend and roommate had, like, how long do the beans after they're roasted, how long do they stay good for before you should drink them? Well, so there's various stages through the roasting. So once the coffee is roasted, you want it to degas, and that's typically about 12 hours where the coffee gives off an off gas, um, and if you put it in a bag straight away, it would blow up a normal bag if it doesn't have a release valve. So you want it to sit for about 12 hours, and then you put it in a bag, and if your bag is not nitrogen flushed, which is an inert gas that keeps the coffee fresh, until the bag is open, the coffee lasts about 15 days from the roast date, 15 to 20 days um, normally from the roast date. In our case, all of our coffee is nitrogen flush, so that means that the bag, um, it, the coffee remains fresh in the bag until you open it. That's huge. I feel like that's, that's a very rare thing in, in, in the, just the food space in general, is having that nitrogen flush bag. Um, yeah, and, and, Tell me, what does the purity standard, I know you guys have like a purity score, right? That kind of rates the quality of, you know, farming, sustainability, processing. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, 
we decided when we went into this business that we wanted to make every decision based on health without any compromise. So we followed all the things. Some of these decisions are very easy to make. Like it's not a difficult decision to say if we're making a coffee for health, should it be organic or should it be treated with pesticides? I mean, that's a that takes 30 seconds to make that decision and the rest is validating why that decision was right. But there were some things that were more complex. So the first thing that we were looking for in our standards is we wanted the highest grade of coffee coffee we possibly could get. So it needed to be what's called specialty grade coffee. And the reason for that, and it's beyond just taste, the reason for that is that every time you go down a grading coffee, it means that there's some um, what's called primary defects. And a primary defect could be something like a chipped or broken bean. It could be a hulled bean. It, it, it all, all of these things represent a problem either at the farm or a problem in processing the coffee. And every single one of those things is directly linked to health. So for example, you know, a chipped or broken bean means that when you roast the bean, if the beans are uneven, the smaller beans will char quickly and you create a thing called polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, which you get from any burnt food. So even though it seems like a small thing, you want to make sure that you don't have chipped or broken beans in the coffee before you roast it. So starting point was organic, specialty grade, and then things got a little bit more complex. We wanted to find that the coffee that was highest in antioxidants and that varied from farm to farm and season to season and region to region. The only way to do that is lab test about 40 to 50 coffees from around the world and then pick the ones that are highest in antioxidants as the starting point. So that sort of gets us the, as a basic starting point for sourcing of the coffee. Then we need to lab test it, make sure it doesn't have mold, okratoxin A, mycotoxins that can develop because the coffee is either badly processed or stored when it's shipped. And then the next step is the roasting protocol. So this is sort of interesting, but if, as you roast coffee, at the beginning of the roasting curve, you can create negative compounds like acrylamide, which you've probably heard Proposition 65, all about cancer warnings on coffee. It really was a storm in a teacup, but nevertheless, that's a negative compound that you want to avoid. And then in the far end of roasting, you have PAHs, which I mentioned from charred food. But as you roast coffee, you lose all the antioxidants. So if you have a very dark roasted coffee, if your listeners get a dark roasted coffee, that'll have a lower antioxidant levels than mm -hmm. a lighter roasted coffee. Um, so the roasting curve was designed with us, with the University of Brazil, to maximize the antioxidants in the coffee. And every harvest, we find the sweet spot for that particular harvest with the most antioxidants, the least acrylamide, no PAHs. And we also look for a few other compounds. That, as we've sort of got further along in the development of our product, we're looking for other compounds like trigonoline and there's a few other things. Thank you and for bringing it. Fresh. Yeah, thank you for breaking that down. So, so that I, I never knew that dark roast had lower levels of antioxidants. That's really interesting because I also have a dark roast from you guys. One second, Andrew. My roommates are like playing the drums. One second. One second. Sorry about that. So, so I have that bag of dark roast you sent. So yeah. really the only reason to have a dark roast coffee be, be because you like the flavor better? So in our situation, we decided again, every decision based on health. And the, we didn't come out with a dark roast until about a year ago. And the only reason for that, and if you look at our site and you see the profile of the dark roast, is we found the certain compounds that you can get from a dark roast that you can't get from a lighter roast. So mm. chlorogenic acids are the primary antioxidants, but out of those chlorogenic acids, so if you start with a high level of chlorogenic acids, it creates a thing called chlorogenic lactones. And chlorogenic lactones Tones are very good for stomach, gut health. Um, it's very good in terms of blood-brain barrier. There's interesting studies about Alzheimer's and, and dementia. So we created a coffee that was not too dark, but had more chlorogenic lactones and still maintained a lot of the chlorogenic acids. So 
we developed a dark roast, but for particular particular compounds, we wanted to dial up. And it's not as dark as the normal. You couldn't, you wouldn't recognize it compared to, let's say, a Starbucks dark roast. It's nothing at that level because that would have roasted away all of the antioxidants. Got it. I'm curious to know because you have so much knowledge in a short amount of time with coffee. So I can't imagine the knowledge you have in all these other aspects of life that you've spent even more time pursuing. Have you always been a health conscious person in regards to food, exercise, are these things that you've always paid attention to? They are, but I think my uh, level of knowledge and distinctions have changed. And I think over time I've recognized, I mean, one of the big trends, the big changes for me has been a focus on regenerative farming, understanding that soil conditions uh, really affect the quality of our food beyond organic. And that was something that we noticed as well with, with purity, that the, the, the condition of the soil and the more the, the, the crop was farmed in industrial farming, the worse it was for the, the nutrients we were trying to get. And that's actually been a, a relatively new development for me that came about because of uh, coffee. So. Wow. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, and, and I would love to hear a little bit about your previous careers and just this current journey that you're on. And just, you know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs who are listening to this show right now. They're watching. And I'm just curious to know, like, what has this kind of evolution been? You sold that company in 2011. Um, You spent a lot of time abroad in South and Central America or just South America. Um, what, What has been kind of that journey, that evolution like for you, you know, as it continues to evolve? Yeah, I'd say the the big distinction for me is that my primary focus has always been I just enjoy business and I'd love starting up uh, companies. And I was really challenged with my last business and the fact that it was it was very eclectic. It was in we were in thirteen different countries at the end. We had offices in five, so we were just you know understanding the different tax situations in different countries and the ways of doing business. That was really interesting. But the thing that was different uh, is that I was never really passionate about the product that I sold. Um, I sold call center software. We were one of the largest distributors in Latin America for contact center software. And while the business was super exciting, the, the product wasn't. And I always felt like, well, as long as I'm getting my pleasure from the business, that's fine. And it wasn't until I came across a product that I was really passionate about, which is purity, that I realized that, that I was sort of missing the boat in a big part of my, my career path because although I really enjoyed the business aspect, it just wasn't as fulfilling as finding something I was passionate about. So it's the old adage. I know it's a cliche, but it's find something you're passionate about and you know, it doesn't feel like work, and, and that really is true. Yeah, and you, you have great energy, brother. So, so it's, definitely, it's definitely showing and expressing just the way that you're showing up in the world and embodying that. Um, and, and I'm curious to know your wife, Amber, how is she doing now with, with, I mean, has purity helped heal her? Have other protocols helped, helped heal her? Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we never really found out what what it was that was causing a health condition. So we did everything at the same time. So I'm not going to pretend that, you know, we changed coffees and and she was sort of cured and that was what it was. Um, It was a series of things we changed, including remediating the house for mold, um, changing her diet, um, reducing alcohol, exercising differently and and better. Intermittent fasting actually was, uh, um, was very effective for her. So we did a lot of different things but her health is definitely on, on the right track. She's doing very well. And, uh, and, and, I, and I think the one thing I would say about the coffee part, though, is it was a very easy leverage point. In other words, it's not easy for me to start the business of coffee, but it was easy to have changed coffee brands into one that was more um, health-conscious, organic, specialty-grade coffee. With the knowledge I have now, I can give somebody a piece of advice uh, of changing their coffee, which is a high leverage point because it's something that people do every single day. So 164 million Americans wake up and drink a cup of coffee, and if you could just make that 20%, 30% better, then you're going to have a big impact, I think, on your, your overall diet. 
Yeah. And, and oftentimes it's just one change that yeah. facilitates and creates momentum for other changes. So I definitely love that approach. I'm curious to know, Andrew, are there any talks about uh, new coffee coming out? Maybe I, this is what I put in my purity coffee. I put these medicinal mushrooms in it every morning uh, to fuel my brain and my cognition. Are there any talks about, um, anything else to supplement the coffee with or, or, or no? There are lots of interesting things that people are doing as an additive to coffee. But what we decided to do early on is focus just on coffee because we felt not enough people were focusing that this is a very deep subject. There's a lot of things that we can do to improve the health benefits of coffee that we're starting to do on the farm level. So improving soil quality, there's macronutrients in the soil. There's just a, there's a biodiversity aspect to the way that coffee has grown. There's an altitude conversation about the right altitude for coffee. So there's just so much depth to the subject of coffee itself. And we haven't seen anybody who's doing a really good job focusing just on coffee for health. So what we wanted to do is have the mm. basic product that would facilitate other people from being able to add things that, you know, if they want to add butter and MCT oil or just other compounds or CBD, you know, we want to be able to facilitate that, but we, we don't think we're going to go into that direction ourselves. That's for other, other players. I love it, man. I love the clarity you have and the vision for purity, clarity and purity. You mentioned, you mentioned high altitude. Um, from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, the higher the altitude typically means the lower the acidity in the coffee. It, it can be. Um, but the funny thing about acidity is people often confuse um, when they say, look, I, I want a low acid coffee. What they really mean is they want a coffee that's not going to upset their stomach or give them jitters. And they think that a low acid coffee is going to do that. But the pH balance in the coffee doesn't vary that much. But what does vary is, is people are very sensitive to pesticide residue, to mold in their coffee, to stale coffee. I mean, you asked the, the question about you know, the age of coffee after roasting most people are drinking coffee that's been roasted beyond 15 days so in other words they're drinking stale coffee so when you see these bins of you know shiny coffee beans and you go to the supermarket typically that shine is the rancid oil on the coffee because it's stale um, so wow. it's you know it's the sensitivity that people have to stale coffee and to the pesticide residue and to mold that can be found in coffee it's not typically the acid that's causing the the, the sensitivity you know but you're right. It is the higher up, lower acidity typically. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting because like, I'll be completely honest with you. The coffee that I was drinking before was this, it was, it was like an organic fair trade brand. I actually got it from Costco. It was like a Cuban brand and, and I liked the way it tasted. It was, it smelled delicious. I like to inhale that, that smell from the beans to start my day and give gratitude for, for this beautiful life. Um, and it is very shiny. Yeah. It is very shiny. So who knows how long it was sitting at the shelf. And then, wow. So, so that just kind of set off that alarm for me, yeah. like, oh, crap. And it's just one measurement. So, I mean, it doesn't mean that if your coffee is shiny that it's stale. If it's very fresh, it can also be shiny. I mean, literally a day or two out of the roaster, if the bag is just open, you'll have a sheen on the coffee, but it's for a different reason. So it's moisture when the coffee degasses. But if the coffee's been sitting there for more than seven days or 10, 15 days, the, the oils that come out are the rancid oils. So it's a different end of the spectrum. Yeah. And how has the growth of purity been going these last couple of years? Like I, I imagine awareness, brand awareness is a key component, you know, letting people know, Hey, this isn't your typical coffee, right. Yeah. And educating them and empowering them to make better decisions. Talk, talk to us a little bit about that process, that journey. Yeah, so my primary focus with Purity is that I felt like this was my opportunity to have a business that had contribution. So my contribution on this side is I wanted to improve people's health through coffee. And it seemed like a very high leverage point. And so my focus has not been necessarily to go out in the traditional method of selling online, Facebook ads, and that sort of thing. We've been working with nutritionists, doctors, integrated medicine doctors, because we really want to get the message out about coffee and health. So we're, we're much more science-based, information-based. 
So if you go to our site, you can go and look at all of the standards that we have for coffee, that scoring that we gave for that, because we, we want to be very open about the things that we measure, why we measure them, and the standards that we've reached. And so we're not saying we're 100%. We know there's a place to go. We think we're doing the best job of anyone that we know in this market for coffee for health, but there's still places to go. I mean, it's a long road. And so, you know, our focus is to engage other doctors. Um, we sort of have a, a group called the Coffee Council, which is a group of doctors, scientists, and farmers and the roasters where they collaborate together, where we're looking at every step of the production chain, trying to improve it, you know, on their level. So that, wow. that's, that's interesting for us. What up, fam? Sorry to interrupt today's show, but I am so excited. This podcast, the Energy Exchange podcast, is something that I have put my blood, sweat, and tears into. And honestly, the best way that you can show your gratitude for me and this show is by leaving an honest review in the iTunes store. It would genuinely mean the world to hear your feedback and to support this mission. Word of mouth is my oxygen. Thank you so much, fam. I appreciate you. I love you. Let's get back to the show. That's powerful, man. That's really powerful. I love that approach of really partnering with these type of people and yeah. and and spreading the word and the influence that way. And you mentioned transparency is really important for you um, as yeah. a core value for purity. Um, what other what other areas does transparency show up? I mean, has that always been something important for you in, in your personal life, in relationships? Uh, talk talk to us about that. Absolutely. I mean, ironically, the funny thing about working in Latin America is um, that there isn't the same level of rule of law. I mean, in, in Mexico and Brazil and countries that I've operated in, it's a lot more um, sort of... If, if you have to resolve something in a, in a lawsuit, you're probably going to lose. It's not You're not going to be the person with all the cards who comes to the table. So one of the things that that creates is, at least it did for me, is the need to align interest. So it became much more necessary, especially in working in so many different countries, to make sure that everyone was in a win-win situation and that if there was a balance mm where you felt that somebody was losing in a transaction, you really want to improve that situation quickly because the very best way to ensure there's no friction is to make sure everybody wins in the relationship. And the best way to do that is be completely transparent. And so it's sort of ironic in a, in, a, in cultures that weren't necessarily as regulated as let's say the UK or, or the US when it came to, to rule of law, um, we were much more collaborative and much more win-win, um, you know, I think than I've seen in, in companies in England, for example, where it's, they rely on law being the fallback position. Mm, that's huge in the U.S. too, right? Like you have to sign a waiver to do anything in this place. Yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, uh, what was I going to – I was going to ask you um, – Oh my goodness. I was going to ask you something about what you just mentioned. Oh yeah. I was going to, I was going to say, you know, in, in the U S right. The FDA allows all of these toxins, all of these Franken foods to be in our food source. And one of the things that was really fascinating about going to Europe last year and, and, and London included is like, you can't put, aspartame. You can't put all of these chemicals into food and the things that are a little less healthy, right? That go into food. You have to be pretty clear and transparent on the label about it. And here, you know, in the U S hundreds of millions of marketing dollars are going towards, and they're trying to tell you, Hey, these honey nut Cheerios are going to cure your high cholesterol. And yeah. And, and people, there's just so much misinformation and confusion. Can you talk a little bit about the differences you've seen now that you've been in America for 13 years and, and the time you've spent in other areas as well? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's so hard to have a conversation about overall health if we're not talking about nutrition and the quality of our food. And one of the problems I feel is that there's a system which um, is benefits from maintaining the status quo. And the status quo is 
poor quality food that's very high in sugar and preservatives and and and, and things that are likely to lead to you know the explosion of, of diabetes and heart disease and all the things that we're dealing with both in the UK and the US. So I mean, it's no different in the in in, in the UK. So I mean, I, I feel like it needs to be a holistic conversation that says what's happening at the farm level, what's happening at our table, what are we actually seeing in terms of the nutrients in our food and how is it affecting our health. And I think one of the maybe law of unintended consequences is because of the difficulty of insurance and the cost of high medical insurance here, people are being a little bit more proactive now and realizing, especially after COVID, I think people are starting to realize this is time to take, you know, take, take, take responsibility into their own hands and really look at their own personal health and make sure it's not they don't wait until it's acute. They don't wait until they're, they're, they're going to hospital to deal with prediabetes or, or some other issue, that there's things that you can do now. And I think it's really important that we start looking at those things on a local level that we can do just in our, in our sourcing of food to improve the quality of food and reduce our uh, health risk. Yeah, that's that's well said. And I'm curious to know, you mentioned COVID. Uh, these last four months, five months, wow, five months, uh, they've been interesting. And I'm curious to know, have you been grounded in Atlanta the entire time? Yeah, pretty much. We've uh, we've done a few sort of uh, left left a couple of times and rented cabins in the woods, go hiking and things like that. But apart from that, pretty much in Atlanta. So, um, you know, our approach has been very much uh, stay at home. My wife has bad asthma, so I just it's not something that we want to take a, a risk with, and uh, so we've probably fallen on the more conservative side of the uh, of the spectrum. Okay, and what has been the biggest? what I like to call divine download. What has been the biggest takeaway for you during this process these past five months? It's a, it's a great question, but it, it's, I think, honestly, it's the fact that, that we've had less external influence. I mean, it's not going to restaurants, I'm not socializing as much, and, and, and I'm not traveling as much. I mean, I, I used to travel 15,000 miles a month. So it was consistently for five, six years, which is just, you know, an insane amount of travel. And I started to realize just, you know, the, the connection time that I have with my daughter and my wife and just going for long walks and just and really reconnecting again. And, 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 you know, it's obviously a very difficult time and we're privileged and we're very lucky to be in an environment that we can work from home. And, um, but, but given that benefit, we've actually had a, a way of getting closer together as a family. And I think it's, in a way, it's been sort of sweet. And I don't want to be sound, you know, um, uh, sort of inconsiderate in the fact that I know people are dealing with some real difficulties out there. But from a personal level, there has been a, a level of sweetness, I think, to just staying at home and just being, um, you know, as a tight, tight group without outside influence. Wow. Yeah, that's a powerful takeaway. And that family time is is so beautiful. So I, I'm glad you've been able to enjoy that and, and take advantage of that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is You mentioned, so when you were traveling this time, obviously for your previous company, I, I imagine there's a lot of that travel. Were you yeah. traveling a lot with Purity as well? Not so much. I mean, visiting farms and that sort of thing, because we want to have a direct relationship with the farmers that we do business with. But apart from that, a lot less travel than I had with my previous company, which is good. Yeah. Is there anything that maybe you're no longer going to do after things normalize in quotation marks that you've maybe realized like, yo, that's kind of stupid that I was spending time doing that? I think I'll get on on planes less. I think it became more of a habit to get on a plane and suggest a meeting with somebody and suggest a face to face. And I think it's it could be much more effective or as effective, and you know you save a tremendous amount of time just by having these sort of communication and then you know peppering it in with the occasional visit. So I think traveling less, and I think. Um, probably, I mean, I'm a bit of an introvert by myself. My wife is, isn't, but I think that the, the connecting time and just sort of like our experience of, of sort of being inclusive and not traveling and not uh, uh, and not having a lot of outside influence, I think has been very healthy and probably do more of that. Mm, you don't strike me as an introvert. 
<laughs> I was, yeah, I, I'm, I'm only an introvert in the sense that I, it's not that I'm shy, but I'm, I'm somebody who, who, when I go to recharge my energy, I need to be by myself. And so I do a lot of time walking and thinking, and, you know, I prefer that sort of, I need my own space. Okay. And let's dive a little deeper into that. Let's, let's walk us through some of your non-negotiables. What are some health practices that Andrew Salisbury is doing on a daily basis to keep himself energized, inspired, and powerful? I, one thing that's very important for me is what my wife calls transition time, which is the, the, the fact that we need to change gears or I need to change gear from, from work into relaxing and being with the family. And so one of the non-negotiables is that I need a break after work to do something where I'm by myself. Um, not the healthiest thing in the world, but I like smoking cigars. So I'll, I'll smoke a cigar. I'll take the dog for a walk. I'll, um, I'll exercise. Um, you know, so, but I need that break and that transition time, I think makes me much more effective as a husband and, and, a, and a father, um, than if I was to try and change gears really quickly. And that's one. Mm, that I feel like, I feel like that's become increasingly more challenging, especially yeah. for me as like, I'm a 29 year old single guy yeah. and I find myself, Andrew, like, you know, I'm a very social guy. I have great, I have great friends and, and people in the community. Um, but it's hard for me to like hang out and do that. If I know there's something left undone that like I need to get done. So I definitely feel you on like that transitioning and getting your mind right on your own and, yeah. And going inward for sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious to know what do the first sixty minutes of your day look like? Well, we have a sort of ritual, which is that, and it's really the first four hours of the day. Um, I don't start work until ten o'clock, and I get up at six o'clock. So we have. Um, I get up at six o'clock. First half an hour is that first cup of coffee. Um, we'll have one cup of coffee, then we'll chat for about half an hour. We call it our purity hub. So that's the first hour of the day. Is that with your team or your family? No, just my wife. Okay, uh, got it. Of course, is still in bed at that time. So um, okay, got it. Continue. Uh, yeah. So so um, the first part of the day is then what we call the purity huddle, which is our our one hour of just connect and talk about the day. Um, then we'll go into a half an hour meditation. That to me sets the day up. Um, that's very important. TM med meditation, I think, has been probably one of the biggest life changes for me when I adopted that about seven, eight years ago. It was a huge life changer um, in terms of just being able to focus on things that are important and sort of relax into the day. Um, so meditation is important. Then we'll go for a walk for about 40 minutes with the dog, and uh, um, and then it's uh, it's back to sort of maybe maybe breakfast, but we, we tend to work out at that time. We'll go down, we've got a gym in the house, and we'll work out and we'll talk. But the first four hours is really just connecting with my wife. That's, that's incredible, man. That sounds like such a healthy, energized morning. Yeah, it is. And, and you're in like a very present state, a very calm state. Mm -hmm. Now, 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 how did that look different uh, before purity when you were traveling, you know, when you were still at home, were you yeah. still taking those first few hours to connect with the messes? No, not really. And, um, and, I, and I think one, that was one of the distinctions I made after um, I moved back here to Atlanta and after I sold the company was just that um, I wanted to trade the last two hours of the day for the first two hours of the day. So I recognized that, look, you know, if you take the last two hours of the day, let's say from 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock, nothing great happened in those two hours. I was, you know, maybe drinking a glass of wine or watching a movie, but I really wasn't being very productive. And if I could swap those and go to bed earlier and swap those for getting up at six o'clock instead of eight o'clock, that actually had a really, really big change in my life. So, um, you know, it allowed me more time to read and to do other things that I wanted to do and connect with, with Amber. And, you know, so I think generally that, that was probably the biggest difference. Um, and my work before was when I would visit one of the offices, typically they had me booked up from morning, noon and night. And it was typically 
at um, uh, meal meetings because that's the way often things work in Latin America. You meet someone for breakfast, you meet someone for lunch, you meet someone for dinner, you fill up the available time with just normal meetings. But the primary meetings were typically over meals. So there was a lot of eating in restaurants and uh, that's uh, it, it's better that I'm not doing that now. Yeah, but oh my goodness, that those Brazilian restaurants, Colombian, you can't really beat that, right? Uh, Argentina. I used to joke that everywhere I went, a cow would die. I mean, because <laughs> they have meat with everything. I mean, it's like, you know, it's almost like when you get back to the hotel, there's a little medallion of steak on your pillow instead of a mint. So it was. Uh, <laughs> what, what would you say, like, advice for me? I've spent a good amount of time in Colombia. Um, yeah. I've wanted to go to, I've wanted to go to Argentina. I was planning on going, but obviously things got shifted. Um, yeah. Are there a couple of places that you've traveled to that that really resonate that will always have a place in your heart? Yeah, I mean, I love Brazil. Brazil is a fantastic country. The people are just just amazing, just great quality of life. I mean, they're very much like the Italians. I mean, you know, they'll talk for hours about how to cook a steak and talk about their, their football, soccer. And I mean, just they're very passionate people um, and they have a good work-life balance. Um, the Colombians as well. I have a lot of respect for the Colombians. Um, very, very smart, hardworking people. Beautiful country. If you ever get a chance to go to Cartagena, um, some of the beaches there, just, just fantastic, beautiful country. And, you know, unfortunately, it has this hangover from the, the sort of FARC days where people feel or used to feel that it was dangerous. But it's really one of the safest countries in Latin America now, um, just because of the sort of the protections they put in place and just the, the, the security they have. And there are no incidences. So it's really a very safe country to visit. So I'd say those two would be my, my favorite um, high points. Amazing. Yeah. I was actually in Bogota for a week right before in February, right before all this happened. Yeah. Um, I love Bogota. I love Medellin. And yeah, I, I haven't been to Cartagena yet, but I second that for sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've, it, it's definitely a safe, secure place. And just like anywhere else, you have places like that you probably shouldn't go to late at night. Um, but that's the case with any city in, in the world, really. Right. So, so, I'm curious to know also, because you mentioned work-life balance, uh, and, and again, entrepreneurs who are listening right now, who are waking up and right away, they're plugged in, right? They're on social media, their cortisol levels are sky high, they're in this reactive mode because there's so much coming at them, they're putting out fires as soon as they wake up, and a lot of times, it's the last thing they're doing before they go to bed. So I'm curious to know... Uh, Maybe I could be selfish and ask you some personal advice in regards to work-life balance when it comes to having a family. What are some things that have really worked well for you? I think the concept of being in flow is very important. Um, I'm not sure if you've read anything by Mikhail Chipsetnihai, who wrote a book called Flow, but it's all about the idea that when we're in flow, time stops and that, you know, we're doing something typically, and there's, there's a sort of prescribed list of things that you could, um, that you could say need to be present in order to be in flow. You need to be doing something you're passionate about. You need to be doing something that's at the extent of your abilities where you're leaning into a level of discomfort, where if it's before that level of discomfort, let's say it's 20% easier, it's 20% uh, easier for you to do it, um, so it's just not challenging, you become bored. If it's 20% more difficult, then you just fail at it. But the idea of the 4% of leaning into something that's challenging and so I really sort of try and follow the rules that something needs to be fun, I need to be energized by it, and I need to be leaning into it and passionate about it. And if I'm not, go and do something else. Because there is something about doing things in the right time. There are times where you want to do your taxes. There's times where you're ready to do you know, the things that are mundane. And there are other times where if it feels like an uphill battle, go do something else. There'll be, and that to me, has given me a, just sort of a, a more relaxed um, approach to life. And I found that when I actually, you know, was um, engaged in something that I was three, four times more productive if I was waiting until I was in flow. Mm, that's powerful. And, and I don't know if you're familiar with Stephen Kotler. 
I've read all of his books. He's from, yeah, he's yeah. So, so I did an online course with him called Habit of Ferocity. And okay. he mentions the man that you, you spoke about. So yeah. flow is so big. I mean, and, and it's important, and I'm sure you know this, like to, fl- to find your flow triggers. Yeah. Those, those things based on your flow profile that are going to accelerate you getting into that flow, whether that is moving your body whether that is singing, whether that is dancing, whether that is taking a nap or a cold shower, there's all different types of hacks to get you into that state. And, and when you're in that state, you need to really preserve it and treasure it. And I love that. So I'm curious to know what are some, you mentioned meditation has been huge for you. Um, Are there any other things for mindset that you implement to really master your day? I think rituals are important. I think having a framework, I used to think that too much structure, I'd rebel against the idea of structure, but now I've gone the other way and recognize that that, that having sort of um, uh, guardrails um, and structure that sort of frames your day, allows you to operate with more flexibility inside of the day. And so that's why I've developed rituals around what I do in the morning and getting up and the meditation and a second meditation later on in the day and, 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 and how I'll do transition time. I think that I think having those sort of guard, guardrails and a frame um, for your day actually gives you more access to, to operate freer inside of those, those times. Yeah. That, that's big, man. And I think I, I, I definitely hear you on that. I, I always say I think spontan- or I think structure allows you to yeah. have more spontaneity. And a lot of people will think those two are working against each other. But when you have systems in place for certain things, it gives you that freedom, right? Yeah. And, and you're more conscious like, hey, I know I have this time to really do whatever it is that I want. I love yeah. that. And audio books, that sort of thing. I mean, I love to just you know, love to do sort of, um, you know, go for a long walk and also listen to an audio book. Those sort of things really just get me in the right mindset. Um, I find that's probably one of the most creative things that I can do or, or most, most effective things I can do to be creative as a result of it. Because I'll spend an hour listening to a book and I'll always come away with a couple of great ideas that I will, I don't know if they're great ideas, but ideas that I want to implement straight away. Mm, talk, talk to us. I mean, I see hundreds of books behind you. Uh, you're, you're, you're well read and it's important to know that leaders are readers, you know, always seeking growth, always seeking knowledge. So I know you've probably read a lot, so this might be challenging, but what are maybe a couple, let's say three books that you've read in the recent past, maybe the last six months to a year that have really had a profound impact on you? Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of great books. I mean, I, I, I love um, the Stephen Kotler books. We, we've, I've just gone through The Rise of Superman, and, uh, and I thought that was just a, a very interesting book. All of Tony Robbins' stuff is fantastic. I mean, you know, I, I know that you've uh, you've done a, a lot of Tony Robbins' work. Um, he's just he's just a, a great mentor and influencer, and uh, and I, I read anything I can get my hands on um, from him. Um, I would say um, a great book that probably isn't very well known is um, "Bury My Heart at Conference Room B," um, and that's a uh, it's a book all about culture. Um, which is like, mm. very important. I think it's one thing that, that people um, could easily get wrong, not focusing on the culture of their company and when they've got people that are moving against that culture and not in flow with the company and, and what that does. I think it's possibly one of the biggest mistakes the company companies can make is having somebody who doesn't fit the culture of the company. Um, that's an excellent book. Um, let me think. I mean, um, I read a lot of books about the uh, about the, the the science around coffee and health. Very dry stuff, but for me, it's interesting. So, what is, so okay. So, do, is most of the stuff that you read these days is it audio, or do you also read, 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 read? I'd say 50-50. I mean, I find audio is just very convenient for me. So, it's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you say I have a lot of books. I have a lot of books behind me. I have, you know. 
300 books in my um, audible, you know, catalog sort of thing, just because that is the way that I consume a lot of books. I mean, I like to, I speed read and I like to, to get through, um, you know, uh, hard copy books, but I find that audio books allow me to exercise and work out and go for walks at the same time that I can learn. So, mm. Who are a couple of the health and wellness people that you've really gained a lot of knowledge from? I, I really like David Perlmutter's um, work. Um, I think he's written The Grain Brain, and there's another book I just read recently uh, by him, Mark Hyman. Very interesting. He's written a book called um, The. He's read a lot. He's wrote a lot of books. He's read, yeah, he wrote one just recently. I think it's The Food Something or Other. I, I, I'll have to. Yeah. It, it talks a lot about what you were mentioning, like the sourcing yeah. and the. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think, um, I think that's interesting. Um, I just try and get as much, uh, you know, the, trying to find those sort of people that, that are on the cutting edge of, uh, of, of nutrition and, um, longevity. I mean, Walter Longo, Walter Longo, who's written to, uh, written the book on longevity. Um, he's the one who started, I think, Prolon and Nutrition for Longevity, which are, they're doing some cutting edge stuff um, in terms of, of diets that are specifically based or food delivery plans that are specifically based for certain illnesses. And I think that stuff is very interesting. So, I love it, man. I'm, when, and when's your book coming out? You know, I've actually, I've been playing around with that idea. I think there's a gap. I don't think there's a, I might be the only person who reads it, but I think there needs to be somebody who puts down um, really what's important in coffee and health. Um, and I think, uh, I think that'll happen in the next year or so. I just need to, I need to prioritize it, but I, I think I'm going to hold you accountable, bro. All right. Excellent. Do that. That would be great. And do you, uh, do you, have you thought about, um, have you thought about starting a podcast or any of those things? Does that appeal to you? We've, we've done something. We've done a, we have a purity podcast. Um, it's, it's a coffee science and health podcast. That's right. People in, in different areas. Um, it's not something that I've gravitated to personally, um, but it is an interesting medium. It's just not something that I've, uh, I've done much. And I always take advantage of, you know, when people like you invite me, I'd love to do these sort of things, but, but I haven't uh, found the time to structure something myself, you know? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm grateful to have you on there, man. And we're going to get a lot of people onto purity, sharing this delicious gift, the delicious scent of these fresh beans. Oh my goodness. So real quick, uh, we're going to wrap up here in a minute, but I want to know, because you did mention, uh, the importance of culture and as someone who's built different businesses, what have you found as you know, a couple core values or core principles that have enabled you to scale and build something special? Well, I think that that's the first step. The first step is defining the values of your company, and they can differ. Um, I think the problem is a lot of people think that their values, mission, and, and vision statement is just something that they do as an exercise and they stick it on the wall and, and you know it's never looked at again. The most important part about mission and values um, and vision is that you take the time in the early stages of the company, and I've done it in the middle stages of the company. I can tell you it's 10 times more difficult to, to sort of change the wheels on the, on the tire when it's moving, you know, on the car when, it, when it's moving. Um, defining the right values for your company, your direction that you're going in, where you would see yourself in five years, 10 years, if everything worked out exactly as you would have hoped, that's important. And then defining the values that you care about, because I think it's a very personal thing. I mean, we can all put down those values that are integrity and honesty, and you know, we can we can we can put down the values that would look good on a plaque on a wall. But but defining the values that will really move you and your company forward, that will inspire you, because if it doesn't inspire you as the owner of the company, it's not going to inspire anyone else. If it doesn't come from your DNA, if you don't exude it from every pore, it's not real and it's just, and it has to come from you. So I think it's, I think that's the most important thing is getting in touch with the way you feel personally before you even get started and try and communicate and bring other people in is really understand what you would like to do with your life and the business, which is the vehicle to get you there. And 
you know, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, for sure. No, that, 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 that's great. And, and getting clear, I like using your business as a vehicle to, to get where you want to go. Um, I don't think enough people have that mindset. It's almost like a means to an end instead. Uh, so, okay. I got a couple of rapid fire questions for you. Um, just, just say what the first things that come to your mind. No need to really activate your prefrontal cortex here. We're just in flow. So I'm curious yeah. to know, what is Andrew's favorite emoji? Oh, wow. I don't even – my daughter <laughs> is the only one who sends me emojis. I think she's got a – the favorite emoji is she's got a little smiley cat emoji that she sends me, which she's developed, or she's got her own emoji. So it's uh, – that's it. Okay. You're yeah. not a big emoji guy yourself. Not really. No, I'm, I'm you know, I'm clearly, I've, I've missed that, that wave. I'm a few years on from that wave. No, you're, you're in this wave, Andrew. We're, you're part of it, man. <laughs> Curious to know, what is your biggest pet peeve? Um, lack of clarity. Um, I, I, you know, people who dissemble, people who don't, um, who are not willing to just tell the truth and just, and, and just move forward. I mean, I don't have a lot of time for, um, trying to decipher what somebody means. And my pet peeve is I would prefer that they're, they're frank, straightforward, and we move on. And, uh, and it's just that this Business and life is complex enough without people being trans- transparent. Mm, so true. I love I love that authenticity and that openness is such a such an important thing for you. Okay, so let let's 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 just pretend. All right, it's your last cup of coffee. Okay, you get to enjoy oh, that coffee. delicious <laughs> cup of purity coffee. Okay, yeah. before you go off to heaven or wherever it is that you want to go after. Okay. You get to have that cup of coffee with three individuals. They can't be your friends. They can't be your family. Um, and they have to be living now. Okay. So it's three people, that final cup of coffee, you get to connect, ask them any questions you want. Uh, who's it going to be? They have to be living now. They do. Um, Okay, well, Barack Obama. Okay, I think that would be that would be incredible. Um, I think um, Richard Branson and Tony Robbins. I really get Richard Branson vibes from you. It's yeah. funny you say that. I'm sure yeah. you've gone that before. I've, I've met him a few times, and I've actually done a few events with him in Necker Island, and we've done some hiking together in the Matterhorn. He's a very, very interesting, very interesting guy. That's amazing, brother. Well, well, Andrew, I want to take a moment just to acknowledge you for the commitment and, and for the passion that you have for life and sharing your gifts in such an authentic way and, and really understanding um, that it's not just about business. It's really about adding value and making an impact. And, and I just want to acknowledge you, man, for, for doing it the right way and for creating such an unbelievable product and for allowing me to be a part of this. Um, so I'm just curious, uh, I want to give you, I want to give you the opportunity. Where can people connect with you? Um, we're already going to link to 20% off purity coffee. So make sure to check in the show notes and you can grab some of this. I really encourage you all to take ownership of your health and, and feel empowered with these delicious beans. Yeah, and, and, and the one thing I would say then at the end is, you know, we're really interested in, in finding people like you, uh, ambassadors, not on a commercial sense, but on a uh, people who, who, who are passionate about this mission of, uh, of food is medicine, how can they improve the food system, and if coffee plays a part in that role, how we can collaborate and work together. We don't see ourselves in a, in a market with competitors. I mean, we hope that there's going to be lots of coffee companies who are focused on the health benefits of coffee over time. We expect to be in a very 
very busy market. So we don't see people as competitors. We see them as allies and collaborators. And we want to be very open about this. And we want to collaborate with more companies to, to improve health through uh, through coffee. And, and that'll only come when 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 there's more people involved. It won't be done just by us being being one company that's that's uh, that's pushing this. That's really that's a really unique and powerful approach. You know, uh, collaboration over competition. You know, we can we can build the biggest building in the world without tearing the others down. Absolutely. And, and I love that, man. And I'm again really grateful and appreciative for this time and okay. the opportunity to connect. And I'd love to. I'd love to just again continue spreading this message with you, brother. So thank Absolutely. you so much. Um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, brother, we're going to, we're going to wrap this up guys. Make sure this was such a rich show. I'm not talking about the richness of the coffee beans. I'm talking about the richness of the content of the conversation. So as you listen back to this show, really try not to just let this information go one ear and out the other, do your best to apply and implement some of what Andrew and I spoke about into your life, whether that's just taking one step at drinking a better, higher quality cup of coffee, you never know what else that's going to facilitate. And I promise you, this coffee is so delicious. It's so sustainable. It's so consciously created. So please, please, please get yourself some purity coffee and don't forget to exchange energy along the way. Much love, fam. Peace. Please, please, please let me know what you thought. Let me know how I did. Let me know what was the biggest divine download that you had because ultimately that allows me to be better. And not only that, when you teach something, when you share something, that means you're learning it twice. That means it's becoming a habit. That means it's becoming part of your DNA. So much love, fam. And as always, it would mean the world if you took that extra 13 to 24 seconds to leave a review in the iTunes store. It helps spread this message and reach more people. I got so much love for you, and I will see you back here for Monday's show. Peace out.